You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Well, hey, Grace Church, how are you doing today? You guys doing well? This is the 930 service. How are you doing today? All right, there we go. We're here. Uh, for those who don't know, my name is Shannon, and I am currently wrapping up my role here at Grace Church as the resident church planter. Uh, as some of you know, I have the privilege of being the first official church planter sent out from Grace Church. Uh, we're going to be planting a church in Lee Summit coming up on September 8th and 9th of this year. Uh, we're very excited about it. We're going to have Saturday and Sunday service when we launch. Uh, and as many of you know, we're calling ourselves Real Community Church. As you can see from my shameless plug, my t-shirt here today. Uh, and so we're excited. We've got a great team that has come around us right now. We've got uh, wonderful volunteers. We had our first volunteer training on Friday night, and we had uh, almost 50 show up, which is amazing. Uh, and then we also have a church building that we're going to be meeting in, which is great for a church plant to have a church facility to be able to meet in. Uh, but most of all, we're so thankful for Grace Church, for being our sending church for being our parent church. We're so grateful for the years of relationship that's going to continue after this. Uh, God has been doing such amazing things already. Uh, we've already had someone receive Christ as our personal Savior, and we haven't even opened up our doors yet. And so we're so excited about what God is going to do uh, with us and through us at Lee Summit with Real Community Church. I encourage you just to pray for us, if you would, uh, when you think about us. We're going to be launching again on September 8th and 9th. Uh, and so having said that, this weekend is kind of a bittersweet weekend for me, uh, mainly because this is my last official weekend at Grace Church. Thank you for not clapping right there. <laughs> I was nervous for a minute there. Whew. That went well. All right. And so uh, I've been here for about two and a half years. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but it seems like such a short amount of time. For those of you that know our story, we came here kind of hurt and broken and, and you guys accepted us as your family. You poured into us and loved us. And so we now get to leave and do the same for others. And so we're, we're thankful for our church body, for our church family, our, the team here, the staff here, Tim has just been amazing to work with. Uh, but then on the other side of that, we're excited about what God has in store for us. It's been almost a year now since God planted this in our heart. Uh, and so we're leaving behind a wonderful church family, but we're looking forward to what God has in store as well. So all that to say this, if I get a little bit choked up today as I'm speaking, it's your fault, not mine, because you're just that amazing. So I put the blame on you. You like how that worked? Uh, and so this weekend, we are going to be wrapping up our series that we've been calling From the Heart. And we've been talking about the topic of praise and worship and what it means and how it means, what it means to do it and when we do it and how we do it, all these things. So today, we're going to be talking about uh, the very object, the device, the instrument that God has given each of us to praise and worship with, and that's something called the tongue. And so if you would right now, all across our campuses, if you would turn to your neighbor, I want you to stick your tongue out at them and then tell them this message is for you. Try not to touch tongues. Tim told me that would be inappropriate. So if you have your Bibles today, turn to the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand up across our campuses. Uh, we have one. The ushers would love to give one to use today. Uh, if you're at home watching online today, go ahead and raise up your hand, but nothing's going to happen. Uh, 
I just want to let you know right now, just go to the Bible Gateway or something like that, and you can look up our verse. But uh, before we jump into the passage, I want to kind of give you some background on this wonderful book of James. Now, for those who don't know, as the name suggests, it was written by a guy named James. Now, James came from a pretty amazing family. James was the half-brother of, does anyone know? Jesus, right? So let me ask this. How many of you grew up with an older sibling where you ever had to hear the words out of your parents' mouth, why can't you be more like your older brother, older sister? Okay, a lot of you have, right? So I imagine, this is pure conjecture. This is not in the text. uh, But I got to imagine that was kind of difficult for James, don't you think? It's like, if you ever heard the words, why can't you be more like your older brother? It'd be like, well, because he's Jesus. He's God, all right? He's perfect. Imagine walking in his footsteps, you know? But how about this? I want you to think about this. For those of you that have older uh, brothers or sisters, older siblings, how hard would it be for you to be convinced for them to convince you that they were, in fact, the son of the living God. Like, they called you up today and said, hey, how's it going? Long time no talk. How's the fam? Hey, listen, I just want to let you know I am the son of the living God. Um, and so if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Um, what you guys do for dinner tonight? I, I mean, it would be really hard to sell that to us, right, from our older siblings, because we know, right? And so think about this. This is how why it's so amazing that we know that later in life, the Apostle John alludes to the fact that James came to faith later in life. We know that he came later in life. And so this is epic for us to understand today, because listen, you can fool some of the people some of the time. You can try to make people think you're something you're not. You can fool most of the people most of the time, but you cannot fool your family, your family knows your, your, the, you, knows you at your worst, knows you at your best. They know the ins and outs of you. And so if Jesus' own family, his own half-brother, believed that he was in fact the son of the living God, this is enormous for us today to understand. Because we need to listen to what James has to say today because that is epic in my opinion. And so just for me, one of my favorite things about the book of James is that James is a, a kind of guy that he just says it like it is. He just comes out and says it. I appreciate direct people. You know, I don't want to wonder what they're thinking or I like it when they do that. So there's 108 verses in the book of James. 50 of them are imperatives. Almost half the book is him just saying, listen, this is how it is. Do it this way. This is the right way. Like he gets to the point. But here's the other thing I want you to know is that this book was written to Christians. It was written to the church. The first century church was having some conflict and some tensions and so sometimes it happens in church. I know it doesn't happen at Grace Church. It happens at other churches, right? It, but we have conflict at times. We have tension. And so James is driving home this idea that our actions should reflect our faith. But then he's also driving home this idea in our text today that our words should reflect our faith as well. And so if you would, let's read James chapter 3, the verses 1 through 4. Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your amazing word. I pray that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you would raise our expectations today of what your Holy Spirit can do in our hearts. This isn't just another Sunday, but it's a day where we can hear from you and you can impact us in a tangible way. So Lord, I pray that that would happen this very day. We ask this in your name. Everybody said, Amen. amen. So the first thing that we notice here, James is telling us, is that the tongue, it is small, but it is powerful. 
It is incredibly powerful if you're taking notes. And so if you would, finish this statement for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Okay, you guys know that one. How many of you said that as a kid? All right, I said it as a kid. I still hear it said on playgrounds. I mean, it's just kind of a statement we make. How many of you knew that that is a big, fat, honking lie? Did you ever realize that? Like, because it's the only reason we ever say that, it's because it's essentially a defense mechanism. When somebody is actually hurting us with their words, we don't want to give them the satisfaction of knowing they are. So we recite that little thing to make them think that we're not really hurt. I'll be honest with you. I would much rather have sticks and stones than words. I would much rather have neither, okay, to be honest, but I would much rather have sticks and stones than words because God designed our bodies to heal. Sticks and stones leave bruises and cuts, but words can leave wounds that for some of us will last an entire lifetime and never fully heal. That's how powerful words are. So this last week I was doing a little digging in scripture and I was being fascinated by how the word, how the Bible describes the tongue and the different metaphors that it uses. And so for instance, in our passage here that James is talking about how the tongue is so small, but it's powerful. And so he talks about it like it's, a, it's just a little rudder on a ship that controls the entire ship. It goes wherever it goes because the rudder tells it what to do. Or, or uh, the, a bit in the mouth of a horse. It controls the entire animal and it's such a small little piece. And so then elsewhere in the Old Testament, some of the writers in the Old Testament refer to the tongue as a razor or as a sword. And interestingly, both Jeremiah and David both refer to our words as arrows. And I love that visual, right? Because when we fire an arrow, we mean it to hit the target and we mean it to do damage or even death and destruction. That's what we do with arrows. And that's sometimes what we do with our words. But here's the thing. I believe that if James, or I'm sorry, if if Jeremiah or David were here today, that they would update their metaphor to more contemporary terms. I believe if they were here today, they would call our words something more equivalent of this. Can you guys see what this is? Anyone want to take a guess on what caliber bullet this is here? Someone said it, 50 caliber round. For those of you who don't know, this is a pretty powerful bullet. It's a powerful round. It's been around since World War II. It was used in various machine guns. And even to this day, it's considered to be one of the standard rounds for a military sniper. This thing is accurate to over a mile away. My eight-year-old this last week was asking me about this because it was sitting on my desk. And I, I explained to her what it does and how accurate it is. And she says, well, daddy, I want to be two miles away. <laughs> Smart girl. I'd much rather you not being shot at, honey, but, you know, if I had a choice. When I was a police officer, when I was a sheriff's deputy, we we wore body armor, and we had this trauma plate in in our body armor that was a steel plate right here. It was meant to protect against knife attacks and such. And this round, if it had been fired at me, it would have gone through that steel plate and the body armor like it wasn't even there. That is how incredibly powerful this, this little piece of metal is. I mean, I can hide this in my hand, comparatively speaking, given how much power it is. And so basically, just like arrows 2,000 years ago, this thing is designed to travel through the air with maximum velocity, total precision, and it's designed to hit its target with maximum destruction. And sadly, this little piece of metal, as we know, has been used to take countless lives over the years. In fact, to change the very course of history. You know, we can't turn on the TV anymore these days without hearing the news about how somebody took a little piece of metal like this and they used it in a way to bring harm and destruction into other people's lives, can we? This last week, I heard so many stories about this, of shootings that were happening. You know, in fact, check this out. In my small group, I have a, a friend. He's, he's in our small group. His name is Brian. Brian was one of the first responding officers back in 2012 in Aurora, Colorado, when a guy by the name of James Holmes walked into a movie theater and he used these to start shooting and he killed 12 people and 70 people were injured. 
He was one of the first responding officers to see the carnage and the death that one of these can cause. But here's the thing. If James were here today, he would tell us that our words have far more power than even longer than these existed. Way before these were invented, our words were causing that much death and destruction. Uh, And so, interestingly, though, there's a flip side to this. Because you see, this very same piece of metal that can be used to take life can also be used to preserve life, can it? Many years back when I was in law enforcement, my sergeant and a fellow deputy had a traffic stop one day that ended them or landed them on the evening news. And so basically what happened was is my sergeant pulled over a late 1980s Chevy Camaro. I don't know why I remember the make and model of the car, uh, but they pulled over a Chevy Camaro. And incidentally, for those of you who don't know this, um, when police officers make traffic stops, maybe you didn't know this, but that's one of the most tense things that they can do. Because for us, you know, it might be an annoyance or maybe we didn't use our turn signal, we're speeding or something like that. But for them, we, they had no idea what they're walking up on. Anything could happen when you're walking up on a car. And so give, call them a little slack if you would, right? And so my sergeant was about to find that out. So he's walking up the driver's side of this Camaro. The deputy, the other deputy is on the back side and the, and, the, and the passenger side standing at the rear. And as he's walking up, the driver rolls his window down. And before any words can be spoken, he raised up a weapon and he began shooting at my sergeant. So my sergeant instinctively turns sideways to try to minimize the impact area. And as he spins around, he actually gets shot through the rear end of all places. And as he comes back around, he's able to draw his weapon. And of course, he's been shot at this point. He is afraid for his life, absolutely. And he draws his weapon. As he falls back, he gets several shots off into the car and unfortunately had to kill the driver. Now, this little piece of metal that had been meant to take his life, he used it in a way to preserve life, starting with his own. He got to go home that night and hug his children goodnight. He got to kiss his wife when he came very close to not having a chance to ever do that again. And for all we know, this guy that was in the Camaro, he was on his way to shoot up a bank or kill his girlfriend or whatever the case was. He was definitely up to no good. But here's the grim reality today, and I want this to sink in for a moment. If you've ever handled a loaded weapon, you know how much power it has. You know how much respect you give it. In fact, we lock them up in our houses without the rounds in them, without the clips in them, because we know how dangerous they are. Some of us don't even want weapons in our house because we know how destructive they can be. We take classes in order to handle loaded weapons properly so we don't harm our loved ones or harm ourselves. And yet many of us, if not all of us, will never have the kind of respect for our tongue that we have for a loaded weapon. And yet James is telling us that our tongue is far more powerful, far more destructive than even a bullet is. And so knowing that, when we look at our text here, again, we see that James, you could say that he's maybe exaggerating, he's using hyperbole, he's a little bit over the top. But when you stop to think about it, our words really do have a lot of power and influence in our life. And so for instance, right, for example, uh, with our words, we receive the gift of salvation. Romans 10.9 tells us that if we confess with our what? our mouths, and we believe in our heart, we will be saved, right? So even it's our standing with Christ. We receive the gift of salvation with our words. With our words, we enter into the covenant of marriage, right? We we stand before a priest or a pastor or a judge, and we say, I do, and your spouse says, I do. And for some of you, that's the most communication you've ever had in your relationship. It's like all downhill after that. With our words, we enter into the covenant of marriage. With our words, we form friendships. With our words, we create enemies. Listen, this one right here is fascinating to me right now. Can I give you a 30-second commentary of what I've been observing? In our culture today, 
our words, something posted on a tweet, something that was on Facebook 10 years ago are, is coming back to haunt people now. Have you seen this in the news? People are losing their jobs. Their families are ending. Their marriages are ending because of a careless word they typed on a screen 10 years ago. That's how powerful our words are. But here's what's crazy to me. When I grew up, I grew up in the church. Back then, the church was the organization that had this label of being judgmental and critical and mean to others. And the world was always more accepting to people, Right. But now we're seeing something flip in our culture. The culture is intolerant and they are mean. They are critical unless you have one viewpoint only. And they're mean and critical to everybody else. And now the church, this is our time to shine. This is when we get to show the grace and the love and the mercy, the things that we were, we had a bad record for before. And now the world has taken that place and we get to be the church in an amazing way. It is amazing to see how our words can create friends and they can create enemies and even destroy our very livelihoods going on right now. Our words, with our words, we succeed at our jobs. As a deputy, I took an oath to uphold the law. As a pastor, I, I, I use words each and every day to communicate God's truth. With our words, we fulfill the great commission to go and make disciples by telling what he's done in our lives and speaking God's truth to them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our words have power. And influence in ways that we don't even realize. And you know, for me personally, I'm I'm just going to be vulnerable here. I've had to be careful over the years with my words because I speak a second language very fluently. And it's a language called sarcasm. Anyone can relate to me right now? People say that sarcasm is like a sign of intelligence. Is that what they say? I don't feel smart when my foot is in my mouth all the time. All right, and so here's what happened, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but this happened several years back. I was doing this question-answer sermon at, at my church, and basically people would write in their questions, and I would answer them as part of the Sunday morning message. And so this lady wrote in this one question. It was, why are some Christians so judgmental and critical of others? And I thought, oh, that's a great question. So I was really looking forward to answering that. But for some reason, during one of the services on Sunday morning, I decided to make a sarcastic comment off the cuff. And so I read the question. I'm like, um, why are so, some Christians so critical and judgmental of others? And I looked up and I said, that has got to be the dumbest question I've ever read. It fell flat then too. <laughs> Obviously, I was trying to be sarcastic given the question, right? And nothing, like people kind of chuckled. I'm like, okay, let's just move on. And so I just answered the question and went on. Fast forward several months later. I'm walking through the cafe. I say, good morning, this one lady. And she doesn't respond back. And I thought that was kind of odd. So I say, hey, are, are you okay? And she responds back to me. She goes, well, I would tell you, but you think I'm dumb. I'm like, oh, why would you say that? What, what does that mean? She goes, well, you told the whole church that you thought my question was the dumbest question you ever heard. And I'm like, I put my head down. I am so sorry. I blew it. I was trying to be funny. I was using sarcasm. I'm a complete moron. I am so sorry that my words hurt you because I did not mean that at all. And with my words, I tried to repent to her and apologize, but she believed that her pastor thought she was dumb for several months. Just sarcasm crushed her. That's how powerful her words are. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, is that the tongue has the power of life and death. That's not exaggeration. Proverbs twenty six twenty eight. a lying tongue hates that it, those that it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. And the crazy thing is, back when James wrote this in the first century, he never imagined that our words would be infinitely more powerful 2,000 years later. You see, we have invented these, these, these digital extensions to our tongue called the internet, and email, and texting, and social media, 
all these digital forms where we can use our words in a way that harm others. And so we can literally be sitting on our couch in our living room. We can hit send and we can send our hateful, mean, spiteful words all the way around the world. And we can hurt people and cause destruction and we never have to look them in the eye anymore. And honestly, I think that emboldens us. If I were to ask for a show of hands of how many people have been hurt by other people's words via an email or a text, I think we would all raise our hands. But I wonder if all of us would raise our hands if we admitted that we have also hurt others in the same way. Our words are powerful and they have influence in people's lives. Let's move on. Let's read James 3, 5 through 8. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Don't you wish that James would just tell us what he's really thinking? (laughs) See, there's my sarcasm coming out right there. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is that James is telling us that our tongue is small, but it is dangerous. It is incredibly dangerous. A couple months back, I was uh, walking uh, through the lobby. It was on a Sunday morning, and uh, it was between services. And there was, uh, I was walking by those restrooms out there on the right when you leave the auditorium here. And there was these two little girls standing by the side on the wall there. I think they're waiting for their parents in the bathroom. And they were dressed very similar, so I assume they're sisters. They're maybe seven, eight years old. Uh, and so I was just smiling because I thought they were adorable. I have an eight-year-old girl at home still, and I love that age. And so I was just beaming. And as I'm walking by, I get about three or four steps beyond them. And all of a sudden, I heard one of the girls say to the other this, that guy has a really big nose. What? I look around like there's no other guys with big noses, I guess. So I got down on one knee and I said, sticks and stones may break. I didn't do that. I wanted to do that. Now, listen, I know it's kids being kids and they say things without filters. And God knows comparatively to their nose and my nose, my nose is enormous, right? But unfortunately, what they didn't know was that one comment took me back 30 plus years in that moment to my history class, seventh grade, junior high, Mr. Lee's class, second floor of the building. I remember it so well. And there was a kid named Edward sitting to my right. I heard laughter. I turned and looked at Edward. And Edward was um, decided to announce at that point that I to the class that I had a big nose. And then he proceeded to make fun of my nose after that. And it was hurtful. And you know, there hasn't been a time in my last 30 plus years since that happened where I have not been sensitive or insecure about my nose. I mean, to the point where I I look in the side screen right now and I go, oh dear God. (laughs) I could sell advertising space on that bad boy. (laughs) Now I joke, I tease, right? Long time ago, I gave my insecurities to God. I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that God doesn't make mistakes. And so my nose is exactly the way he wanted to be for whatever reason it is. But you know, the thing is, I never forgot how it made me feel. There's an old saying that says, be careful with your words because once they are said, they can only be forgiven, but not forgotten. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of like shooting a bullet out of a weapon. You can fire the gun. You can't go, oh, just kidding, just kidding. Come on back, come on back. 
right? Once we fire it, it's going to hit what it's going to hit, and it's going to do what it's going to do, and there's nothing we can do about it. Our words are going to cause the kind of harm that they're going to do, and the only thing we can do is seek forgiveness, but we're not going to get people to forget because they remember how they felt. And you know what? There's actually a physiological reason for this. I looked this up this last week. I was reading this study, and it was uh, done by this group of doctors at the University of Chicago, and it explains why this is. The purpose of the study was, why are critical or mean words, why do they stick with us so much more than positive words, right? And so apparently the doctors discovered that we have in our brains this thing called a negative bias. Now, I would suggest that's called a sinful nature, uh, but I'm a pastor, they're doctors, and so they're going to call it a different thing. And so they said, we have this negative bias. And so the study went on to say that it, because of this negative bias, comments, negative comments or insults remain with people far longer because they have a greater impact on our brain chemistry. And so this is the reason, like, when a politician goes negative on a campaign trail, all of a sudden, all the media and attention's on them, because it's interesting, it's more fascinating, we want to see that, right? It's the same reason when somebody walks up to you with a juicy piece of gossip, and it's almost like a tractor beam, it just kind of sucks you in, you're like, oh, really? Tell me more. It's like it's satisfying this sinful craving inside of us, right? Because we feel superior to somebody else in that moment. Right, So that's why our, this negative bias, because of our brain chemistry, it's more impacted. And so it also talked about this study, how we have something called a negative ratio. And you guys have probably heard this before, where for every negative comment or insult, it takes five or more positive ones to offset it. Right, And so that means that many of us are walking around with a negative ratio today. Husbands, this is why, for instance, when you say something that is just you know, not well thought out to your wife and you hurt her feelings and then at some point you realize I got to make up for this and so you make this big overture, you clean the whole house or you give all the kids baths and put them in the bed, you buy her a new car, whatever the case is. And when we do that, our wife is still standing there tapping her foot like, okay, that's one thing. Four more to go, buddy. And we think it's going to erase all the negatives when in fact it doesn't work that way, does it? And so bottom line, this is why James is telling us in verse six here that our tongue is a fire and it's small and it's set in our body, but it can set our entire lives on fire. The fire set from hell is what he says. And so I don't know about you, but over the last couple of years, my wife and I, we have been moved to tears when we watch news stories of how damaging our words can be, especially to our children. And I don't need to recount these stories to you. Many of you know them or even have lived them. Little kids or kids in the class or a mom down the street will text your kid mean things or insulting things on social media, find a way to communicate it, even a handwritten note. And those words are hurtful. And what happens next is our kids start hurting themselves or they start hurting others. Or worse yet, they take their life because of the words that were spoken to them or written to them. I, as a pastor, have personally sat in hospital rooms with young ladies that had eating disorders so severe that their organs were shutting down. And one girl was because she had a seventh grade gym teacher that called her fat. And after that, she refused to eat and she developed an eating disorder where her organs were now shutting down. Another lady I sat with, she ended up eventually died because her dad called her chubby when she was trying out to be a cheerleader. You can't tell me our words are harmless. You can't tell me they don't have power. They're not dangerous. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 36, he says, on the day of judgment, listen to this, we will give an account for every careless word that we speak. We give an account for it. We have to face God. And then on top of that, he goes on to say that, that by our very words, we'll either be justified or we will be condemned. 
Jesus clearly knows how dangerous our words are. But you know what I love about that verse? It tells us we have a choice. By our words, we will be set straight. We will be forgiven. We will be justified. Or we will be condemned by our very words for all of eternity. We have a choice today. You know, James tells us earlier in chapter 1, verse 19, he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And what that means is is that, you know, when somebody hurts us with their words or says something to us, that we hit the pause button before we respond back to them in the same way. Just because they hurt us doesn't mean we've got to lash out in like. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only that for which is building up of other people. We are called to give life to people with our words, not to take life from people. And so what that means for all of us today is this, is that if that study that those doctors did was right, that means that everybody sitting around you right now at this very moment has a negative ratio in their life. And they are in need of encouraging words. They're in need of words of life. They're in need of building up. And the amazing thing is, is that as Christians, we should have the market cornered when it comes to this. We should be the biggest speakers of life. We should be the biggest speakers of building up each other. You never know how those words are going to impact somebody. But today we have a choice. We can either give life or we can take life from people with our words. Last but not least, let's move on. James, let's read James 3 verses 9 through 10. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. So the last thing that James is telling us here is that the tongue is small, but it is revealing. It is revealing of what's going on. Let me ask this, and be honest, because I've said this before. If you lie in church, it's a double sin, so it's really bad. Um, But how many of you ever had your mouth washed out with soap when you're young? Okay, a lot of you. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, it happened to me maybe four, five, 25 times. Um, and my parents would use this soap called Zest. You remember Zest? That is not meant to be eaten, let me tell you. It's not like this Bath and Body Works stuff that we have these days where if I'm hungry, I just snack on it, right? That, that Zest is bad, right? And so my parents, of course, you fight it. So my parents would shove the bar in my mouth and it'd get between my teeth. I'd be flossing soap for a week. I'd be blowing bubbles out when I'm... It was, ugh. All right, let me ask this. For those of you that were honest just a moment ago, how many of you would say that that worked? Like it cleaned out your mouth. You never said a negative thing again. That was it. You were done. Of course it didn't work, right? That's why we had it done more than once (laughs) and again and again, right? And the reason for that is because our tongue is just an instrument, but it's actually controlled by something much deeper within us. That's called our hearts. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 34. I love this verse because it's so easy to remember. Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Tell your kids that. Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4, 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what that means is that what's going on in here, the mouth is overflowing for, what's, for what it is. And so the way I teach this to my kids is it's like imagine having a glass of milk and your sister or brother bump you. If tomato juice comes spilling out, you know, that ain't a glass of milk. Something's wrong here. And the same thing is true in our hearts is that when we get bumped, what comes spilling out tells us what's going on there. And so somebody cuts you off in traffic or, or, or somebody disrespects you at work or a little girl tells you your nose is too big, whatever the case is. What's going on here is going to come out of here. And so James is telling us that it is impossible for us, literally, that we should be praising and cursing out of the same mouth. Now, let me clear something up here. 
because I've heard this misspoken about and even preached about incorrectly in the past. That word cursing in the original language there is not talking about profanities. Now, profanities are wrong. You shouldn't say them, all right? So don't hear me wrong on that. But it's talking about cursing. It's talking about the insulting, mean comments that are the opposite of blessing each other. It's the opposite of giving life as we are taking life. We are insulting and we are being critical. and We are being mean. That's the cursing that James is talking about. When we belittle, but we don't bless. When we harm and not help. When we tear down instead of building up. And so bottom line, our mouth does an amazing job of revealing what is really going on in here. So let me ask this as I close today. So what are your words revealing about your heart today? What are they telling? What are they revealing? Maybe today you're hurt and your words reflect anger. They reflect that hurt. Maybe you're, maybe you're insecure Maybe somebody hurt you way in the past and your words are critical and they're mean of others because it makes you feel better in that moment about yourself. Maybe you're sad and your words reflect apathy. Whatever the case is, what I want us to do as we close is I want us to get real with God right now. And I want us to acknowledge two things. One is that we need forgiveness from God. With our mouths We can be justified or condemned. We have a choice today. Some of us have forgotten how powerful our words are. Some of us don't even know how dangerous they are. And many of us probably didn't even realize what they're revealing about what's really happening inside of us. Some of us need to get right before God and ask us forgiveness today. But secondly, some of you today need to connect with somebody that you know that you've hurt with your words. Maybe it's more than one person. Maybe the Holy Spirit has placed someone in your mind as I've been preaching today. But you know you need to make things right. And it's up to them whether they receive your apology. But it is up to you to make that apology. Some of you might need to apologize and ask forgiveness and ask for grace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the power of your word in our lives. And what it does inside of us, it transforms us. It fills us with life. And so Lord, I pray this very moment that one, we would get right with you, that we would ask your forgiveness for the way we've used our tongues in a way that doesn't glorify you, but it hurts. It hurts other people and it doesn't bring you glory. Then secondly, Lord, I pray that you would place those people in our minds right now, the ones we know that we have hurt. And Lord, maybe they hurt us and we've justified it for so many years, but we are not in charge of their actions. We are only in charge of ours. And so, Lord, today I pray that we would call them or, or reach out to them and tell them, I'm sorry, I hurt you with my words and I was wrong. That we would make amends and we would seek reconciliation. Lord, that is what reflects you. So, Lord, I ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.